Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dean Rogers. Welcome back to the Dean Rogers Show. Today, we have a super special guest, Mr. Will Dennis. What's up, Will? Super special. Thank you, bro. What's going on, dude? How you doing? <laughs> Good to have you here, man. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Dean Rogers Show, where we talk about real deals that we're doing and bring on awesome guests to talk about how they're finding success in their business to inspire and motivate you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All right, see you on the show. We met not long ago and instantly uh, became best friends. Um, (laughs) Now our our best friends. And uh, so naturally we had to do a podcast. Um, But dude, I'm stoked (laughs) to have you here. For those of you that don't know Will yet, he scaled his wholesale operation to seven million dollars that's not you heard that right a huge number in south florida uh he operates in both english and spanish and um man let's oh if you want to connect with will make sure to go online and look willie numbers you can find him on instagram at willie numbers that's how you get in touch with him so dude let's dive into your story you have a super unique story that i think is cool so let's dive right into it yeah yeah. So where you want to start? Where, where where I got actually started? What happened? Before real estate, man. I think that's a really cool, unique story. Yeah. So uh, I was a corporate America guy. I got hired by Merrill Lynch um, <clears throat> back in 2015-ish, uh, more or less. And I got an internship. I was in commodities. And I went to New York and I was there for about a year. That was my dream. You know, I wanted to be on Wall Street, eventually be in a hedge fund. That was, you know, a lot of us where, where you think you're going and then deviate, right? Things happen. Um, mm-hmm. I got fired, actually, at that time. Um, after a year in New York, I was living in Manhattan, a little studio, and then I had to move back in with my mom. So when that happened, um, obviously a low point in your life yeah. because you, you realize you're like, okay, there goes there goes that dream. Let's see, you know, what am I going to do now? Right. That's, that's the natural question. So what was that like remember, on Wall Street? I, it was awesome, bro. It was awesome. It was very, very high paced, um, very crappy pay. <laughs> was it like Wolf of Wall Street stuff where you just like, people are like shoving these leads down your throat and being like, call these people, call these people. Like what was, what yeah. was the environment like? What were you actually yeah. doing? So I was more on the institutional side, which means I, I wasn't like client facing where, you know, Wolf of Wall Street is more like your cold calling to generate um, leads into your brokerage. So I was in commodities within Merrill Lynch. So we would trade a lot. Uh, I traded oil. So we would trade a lot between banks, like institutions. I'm talking about big, big trades, you know, nine figure trades and stuff like that for oil. That sounds crazy. So, so you guys are trading oil between futures. banks. Yeah. Okay. So it's, so explain that a little bit. Like, what does that, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Yeah. So futures is kind of, ironically, when I got into wholesaling, futures is really like a wholesale uh, where you're flipping the paper. You don't actually own the product, like, but it does tie into the physical barrels of oil. So you're, you're trading in the futures where tied to the value you believe, of it. yeah, you believe that the value will be this and, you know, people trade off of that. So it's very, very fast paced, uh, a lot of data, a lot of numbers, and it's very relational too. 
So you you did deal with counterparts at other banks and, you know, there's trades like anything. So I, I was on um, an older guy's desk. Obviously, when you're low man on the totem pole, I started off as an analyst. Then I was a junior trader and I was working my way up to becoming a full-time trader, which would have been awesome. You know, at the time, that's what I wanted to do. And then I wanted to go into a hedge fund. So very fast-paced, uh, very unforgiving. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, 100-hour work weeks. I slept at my wow. desk a lot of times too. Yeah, it was it was demanding and all that to make like 70 grand in New York City, which is like negative 50,000 yeah, right? in the real world. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was, it was like a rite of passage, you know, and, and it was, it was crazy fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. So what did, what did sleeping at your desk look like? Like you were taking naps or you legit had like, uh, like a comforter and a pillow underneath your desk sleeping there at night? Yeah. There was sometimes you just sleep there at night. You'd work so late to two, three in the morning and it was like, ah. Oh. It's more of a mission for me to go back home and then come back here and be here at 8 a.m., 7 a.m. So you just boop and then, you, you know, you kind of shower and you, you get back dressed and you have an extra pair of clothes. So. so did they have like full workspaces all set up, super nice, like modern yeah. where they had like the showers yeah. and the like the cafeteria and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, it's not like a Silicon Valley style. It's more wall street uh you know banking very prim proper to a certain degree but yeah i mean it's merrill lynch and it definitely wasn't rinky dinky for sure they they have some they have a really nice building there um in in the fido district okay so were that were you was there like a bunch of other young people there too that were just like working crazy hours and oh yeah you were you were one of many i was one of many um I was the youngest one because I had come through their internship program. So at the end, you you, you either get hired or you don't. And I got hired. Um, you know, what was interesting is that I come from Miami. So I went to FIU, which is really like a no-name school in on Wall Street. And it was the first year that Merrill Lynch had done some recruiting there. Oh. So I really don't know how it came to be, but I guess I was always very persistent. So one thing led to another. I think I interviewed four times, if I remember correctly, just to get the internship. Um, and then, you know, you have to bust your ass for three months and really like your whole goal. I mean, you played in the league, you know what it is. Like you have one moment to shine and that three months is like your spring training and you better ball out and then you hope to get a contract. So, you know, for, for us, it was the same thing. And then at the end, I, I got offered the position. That was, that was definitely a dream accomplished there. And, and then you, you roam right into it. But it's, it's you know, it, Wall Street is, is a young environment in a lot of ways. It, it really is a younger man's game, right? And then you have the older guys that have been on the street for 15, 20 years. And, you know, they're higher up. They're like your boss's boss or whatever. But, but it is, it, I mean, it's fast paced for sure. I wasn't the only one there that, that was going through the struggles for sure. You yeah. get your ass chewed out too. I mean, it's, it's part of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So you, you're done. You're back at mom's house. Yeah. What do you think next? Like how, what's your, what's your mindset? <clears throat> like, how do you figure out what you're going to do next? So this is exactly how I went down. I came back home. My mom was living in an apartment in Boca and I came back home, was super pissed, first of all. That was my, like, whole feeling. And keep in mind, I could have very easily have gotten another job. 
because once you're at that world, you have experience now. So I could have interviewed at another hedge fund or a private equity firm. I'm sure I would have ended up on my feet, right? No problem. But I came home and I told my mom, you know, she's Cuban. I'm, I'm, I'm the kid of an immigrant. So, you know, I told her, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm never effing working for anybody ever again. And she was like, well, that's, that's all great. Uh, but you better figure this shit out. So you're not going to sit around here all day. And what happened was I had a friend who was older than me and he had, was already on his entrepreneurial journey for about eight years or something. And he invited me to a Tony Robbins event, Tony Robbins business mastery in West Palm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, I'm a platinum circle member. It's the first time I ever hear the term mastermind and which was, he was in the mastermind with Tony Robbins. And he's like, look, why don't you come to the event with me um, as my guest? And I didn't have any idea who Tony Robbins was. So I went, I had nothing else going on. And that was a five-day event. That event really changed my life. Mindset-wise, uh, I was around people that were just completely different, just doing all these incredible things. So many entrepreneurs, so many people have been through so many different walks of life. It, it was like all these emotions were going in. You're crying one day, the next day you're happy, the next day you're excited, then you're yelling at somebody's face. I mean, it's just crazy the, the emotion roller coaster you go through. And he was in a diabetic testing business at that time. And he told me, he's like, look, why don't you put out bandit signs for me? You, you take the calls, you pick up the diabetic testing trips, we flip them you make some money. And imagine college graduate, top of my class, Merrill Lynch, Manhattan. I am now putting out bandit signs in the middle of the night <laughs> in Miami-Dade County, getting rained on. And there was one night where, where I got rained on so bad, dude, I had lost my shit. I threw the bandit signs on the ground. I had a mental breakdown in the middle of a road with no one around. And I was just crying and yelling. I was like, ah, it was like my, my moment of breaking, you know, cause I was so frustrated. And I did that for about six months and I heard um, a Sean Terry podcast. And when I heard that podcast, I cold called the the dude that was interviewed who was in Miami at the time. And I called his office, I lied to his secretary. And my first thing that came out of my mouth, because I was already on the phones on Wall Street, so I was pretty solid on the phone. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was like, look, you don't know me, but if you teach me what you know how to do, I'll split my first five deals with you 50-50. Um, and it was like a moment of silence. And he said, can you come in tomorrow at 11? And, and I was there. And 90 days later, we did five deals. And, and that was that. I just didn't look back. How did you find the Sean Terry podcast? Was it something you were looking for? Did you stumble upon it? Uh, like, how did that get <laughs> yeah. in front of you? To be honest with you, I don't specifically remember how I found Sean Terry. I remember I did come across, I typed in real estate investing because I, I had heard somebody at Tony Robbins talking about it. And actually, I do remember exactly how it was. There was a guy, I'm sure you've heard of him, Mark Evans, right? Yeah, He's yeah, a big yeah. real estate guy. Yep. He lived in South Florida and somebody had told me to follow him. So I did. And I send this guy a DM and I know Mark personally until this day. So it's awesome how life goes full circle. But he told me, he's like, look, I usually help people level up. I don't think you're there yet, but talk to this guy. His name was Jeff Latham. He was an awesome guy. And that dude told me, he was like, follow these guys and read these books. And one of the first books was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and I'm coming from a college mindset, corporate America. Now I'm hearing all this other stuff. And I'm like, wait, what? Total like, opposite. Yeah, I'm like, I've been duped this entire time. Like these people, like these people don't run by the same rules, you know? And, yeah. and that's how I stumbled upon Sean Terry. 
entrepreneurs, I think, are kind of looked at as rule breakers. You know, like yeah, for sure, all the fish are swimming, and then here come the other fish swimming upstream. You know, um, and those <laughs> are those are the entrepreneurs, and it's a harder path. But man, once you once you get that breakthrough, it's like, dude, look at this oasis over here. This is this is awesome. Um, yeah. So you definitely have to you you have to pay your dues in a lot of different ways. Um, I always say you're going to pay the piper one way or another. So you're either going to pay them on the front end or you're going to pay them on the back end. And the front end looks like pay for mentorship, grind it out, split some deals, hire a coach, hire a mentor, whatever it is you need to do, sweat equity, whatever. Or you don't do it that way. You want to go it alone and you want to do it the hard way. You're going to pay it on the back end by the years that you're going to have to go through to learn what you could have learned on the front end, partnering mm-hmm. with somebody. So true. Yeah. So true. That's crazy. So um, you go to that. So you, t- I love that. You take the initiative to call the dude, right? Like yeah. so many people miss out on the obvious thing that is right in front <laughs> of you. That, that whatever you want to believe God put in front of you, the universe, uh, you know, whatever it is, but God put this opportunity right in front of you and said, here it is, do something about it. And you did, you took action. You, you reached out to the person that was on the podcast and Mm -hmm. connected with them. (laughs) We have similar stories. I won't tell mine, but like the fact that you were basically like, yo, I'm, I'm ready to do deals with you. Let's, let's do it. And they're like, all right, come in. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what it took, man. Taking that, taking that, uh, that leap of faith. I think it, look, it, I, I still apply this to, to, you know, I coach people, you coach people now. I apply this in my personal life and I practice what I preach. But it, when you have definitiveness and when you really like hunker down and you say, I'm going to achieve that, whatever the hell that is to you, if the, the universe, I just believe that the universe moves out of your way at that point. And it just, you can, it'll create a path. And you have to follow it. You have to do the work and you have to do the push-ups, right? But you'll find it. And and it's not going to look anything like what you thought it would look like, but you'll get there, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely. That's just what it is. But you have to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. So so you do the deals with a guy, you, you get some experience, you learn some of the strategies, some of the techniques. How long do you work with that guy? How how soon do you start working on you know your own? What's it look like after that? Yeah, so I, I hit the ground running, man, and and I did it completely ass backwards. Um, I started off by doing direct mail, uh, which is ill advisable <laughs> for anyone. Especially starting now, off. it's I mean, yeah, especially now. This is back in 2017, so it was definitely a little bit less saturated than it was. But I I had a, a Bank of America credit card that had like 30 grand line of credit and. My thought process was, and this is so crazy to think about now, but my thought process back then was, well, if I spend it all, I just won't pay the card if I can't and if I'm not successful and eventually I'll be successful in something and I'll just pay it back on a charge off. It is what it is, right? What do I have to lose? It's it's not my money. That's kind of how I <laughs> young and dumb viewed it as. And I was like, well, it is what it is. I'm just going to go. And, and I did. And you know, we did rack it up to like 27 grand or something before we hit that first deal. Yeah. Which was already stressful enough. And 
you know, from there, man, it was 91 days, I think is what it took. And we, we hit five deals. Uh, you know, all of them did not close within that time frame. One of them ended up being a lawsuit. It was a disaster. We closed it a year later, but that, that was it. And one, once I saw that first deal, I think it was like 11 grand, that, that proof of concept, that was it. That's all I needed because I just needed, I believed it, but now like I, I had proved it and, and that was it. That's all, that's all I needed to see. And, and, and we were just off to the races. Yeah, that that first that first deal closing is such a big moment to like you've you've already bought in, you already put in the effort, put in the work, but like to actually hold the check or see it hit your bank account with a wire, it's just like, all right, this is this is cool. Like I made it happen. 100%. Let's do it again. So how do you go from that moment to doing seven million dollars? Like what's that journey look like? <laughs> it's a... Uh... Well, that's why I cut my hair so high because I <laughs> got gray hairs now. You know, at this point, the fade just keeps getting higher. No, you know, it was a lot. Truth be told, it was a lot of learning and and I, I messed up a lot of stuff along the way, you know, and I, I eventually got another. I always believed in mentors. I always believed in, in having somebody within your circle. I, I ended up becoming a part of a mastermind a year, maybe a year and a half into my career again. I put myself in a position, that's what I believe, that it was the right place, right time to be able to to be allowed there. Max Maxwell, as a matter of fact, who's a good friend, he was doing his first We Live event in 2018. And we were we had never actually physically met, but we would talk all the time via Instagram and text. We kind of became like, like pen pal friends, you know? And he called me one day, he's like, hey, I'm hosting this event. He was starting to get a little bit big. And he's like, you're coming up here to Charlotte um, to speak at it. And truth be told, I was like, what the hell am I going to speak about? I, you know, like I'm a year and a half into the business. I, I don't have anything figured out. So from there, I, I actually met Scott Oots and all these other guys. And I got into uh, a mastermind, which really propelled me forward. Um, and then I got another mentor. And then that mentor really helped me scale to seven or excuse me, to seven figures. And then we did a million and a half. And then we did three. And, you know, at that point, we, we were already on our own. We didn't have a mentor at that point. And, and then we hit a $7 million a year, um, 2021, 2022. And then obviously the economy kind of shifted. We're on track to do about four and a half because everything really slowed down. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's been an incredible journey. You know, it's, yeah. it, it wasn't easy. And, and I would take like two steps forward, 10 back. And that's course, what it yeah. felt like. And yeah. then you go forward and then it's back again, you know, don't think you're hot shit because you're not. And, you know, you, you still have a lot more to learn. There's still so much uh, that, that you can learn. Absolutely. That masterminds, you said it was a big moment for you. So what about this specifically? Because I think everybody's going to take away something from something like a mastermind or a coaching program. Was it just simply the belief? Was it new information that you learned? Was it like this new relationship that opened up something for marketing or opened a deal flow or what specifically out of that mastermind did you get that allowed you to, to really take off? Look, it was, first of all, it was at, at that point in my career, I, it was very, my whole life was fractionalized where I didn't, I didn't really have any direct contact to people that were doing the business. And if I did have contact to them, they weren't open about sharing or, 
growing together or collaborating, right? I, I didn't have that in my life. So every day was like, okay, alone, we're going to figure this out. A mistake would happen. I didn't even know it was a mistake because you don't know what you don't know. And, and then I would learn in, in a lagging time frame. So getting into that mastermind was finally being in a room where I was like, oh, shit, these people, like, I'm not crazy. There's other people that have these problems. There's other people that have scaled. I remember when I heard for the first time that somebody had scaled to three and a half million a year in that mastermind, I was blown away because I was like, dude, if I make 300 grand in a year, I, I would be ecstatic, let alone three and a half. Like, yeah, my mind could not process that at the time. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, it, me being me, I'm a believer. Like that was it again. It was another moment. And then it was that community of being like, wow, I can talk to these people. I, I can, I can learn from them. I can add value where, where I can. Right. And, and the, there was a lot of great people in that mastermind that really pushed me and helped me along the way. But I also, I'll say that to anybody listening to this. You, you also have to come from a place where you're open to that. And, and where you're open to, to providing value, even if you can't provide that much value because you're, you're not at that level with those people, provide value because the right people see that and the right people will, will give you the push that you need if you, if you come across that way. Yeah, without question. That's, that's a golden nugget right there. Like when you get around these people that are doing bigger, better things, uh, you'll notice one of the biggest traits, if you're in the right room, which you know, I think the majority of them would be, but there'll, there'll be others that you, you'll find yourself not wanting to be there. Majority of these rooms, these people are there because A, like you said, they want to be around other people that, they're, that are doing big, bigger and better things. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe where they're at currently, the environment that they're at feels a little secluded, doesn't have as many opportunities to do that. So- getting around other people is, you know, super energizing, inspiring, um, new relationships, new information, but you'll notice in those rooms, those people are typically super forthcoming with value. Like they just want to give value. Um, yep. and when everybody's in the room doing great, amazing things, wanting to give value, then awesome things happen, you know? So, yeah. um, so the other thing I was going to ask you is, to also scale, what is what does your team look like through that journey? Yeah, so we were really a two-man band, my ex-partner and I, uh, and then a VA about two years into the business. And the first, the first year that we hit seven figures, which was that million-dollar mark in a year, it was about two and a half years into the business. And, and that was really a two-man band with a VA. Um, the next year after that, we had hired one salesperson and then two VAs and still two partners. And I think we did 1.6, 1.7. So we, we had already figured out, okay, we could we put up a lot of effort, put up a lot of hustle, right? Um, and we had learned how to be creative. We had learned how to do hairy deals, right? That would, that would pop off my first six figure deal, multiple six figure deal, they were possible. So through that mentor, we learned that. And then when we actually scaled, then we started to really think about sales and marketing as actual departments, we, we brought in Sharper Business Solutions, Gary Harper, that really cool. systemized and McDonaldized my business. Um, you know, Gary's a good friend of mine till this day, but that he helped me see like, okay, 
this business to be run like a business has departments, has seats, has heads of those departments, and everything has an SOP, which is a standard operating procedure of how this is done. Because if you're not around, you don't have those SOPs, then what I found was you will learn very quickly. If your employees don't have a process to follow, they'll just invent one on their own. And that's a big process. That's, that's a recipe for disaster, right? So you learn how to scale by hiring, by training the right way. You emphasize on your growth. You emphasize. One thing I've always done is emphasize on your personal growth and your education of your craft. So I was always traveling to masterminds. I was always learning. I linked up with Steve Trang because he was in my in the original mastermind. He got in there. Then I had hired him for all my sales guys on my team so he could train them better on the phone so we can convert better. Then I met up with Brewer because Brewer taught me how to do novation. So I taught my whole team how to do novation. We all learned that at the same time. So we're always growing and learning and scaling up from there. So the team was Six acquisition reps, three virtual, three in-house, a transaction coordinator, a project manager, because we were doing quite a bit of rehabs, probably like 25, 30 rehabs a year. In addition to the wholesales, we had two business partners. Um, and then we also had, we had an in-house TC. And then I think we had like 10 VAs at one point. And all these VAs would do different things. They would do admin roles. They would do comps. Uh, they would do data. They would do scraping. They would, you know, make sure the, the CRM was working properly, the dialers, et cetera, training, uh, like uh, quality control and all that stuff. We had a VA that would just do quality control. So, you know, you just, you, you really start treating it as a business. And, and of course, everybody wants to hear the word, the word scale and scale, 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 scale. And, and I know I did right? The first year I did a hundred deals, I was like, oh man, scale. And then it was 130 and then it was 150. And look, scaling is great, but there's also a downside to scaling where you're making more money on paper, but you're keeping less because you, you naturally run more inefficiently and it costs a lot more money the bigger your team gets because they need to eat more. So you need to spend more money on marketing. And if you're not converting and if you're not watching those KPIs, your top end might be 400 grand, but what you're actually keeping might be 100 grand. And, and that's the difference. So now I've learned how to run a much leaner operation, still do seven figures, multiple seven figures, but with a lot less bandwidth, headache, and, and expense. And when an economy shifts, like it did in 2022, your big scale machine is very difficult to pivot. It's not as quick as you'd like it to be. Yeah, absolutely. So, what is to to get hit those kind of numbers? What type of deal volume do you have to do, or is it a lot of big deals? Like, what does that look like to actually hit those kind of numbers? Yeah. So again, when we were riding those two years, which was amazing for everybody, everybody could hit a deal. Everybody was making money in South Florida. The average deal size went up to like thirty five, thirty seven grand. Right. So <clears throat> ten deals a month on a wholesale scale. That was already 350 grand, give or take. And then inevitably, every single month, we'd have a deal that was 70 grand, 100 grand, 120 grand, 90 grand. And then we would have our rehabs as well, where our average rehab was generating us 65, 70 grand on net profit. So it was kind of a combination of everything, but mostly wholesaling. But yeah, it, what's crazy is this, Dean. My burn rate was about 100K a month. So my break-even point at my business at that time, I needed to generate 25K a week just to keep the lights on, not any profit. 
So imagine that I, I had to do the first five, six deals in the business pretty much got eaten Oh yeah, in that month. And then, sure. okay, how many more can we do to actually make a profit here? And then you got multiple partners. So it, it again, it's not as sexy as it sounds after a while. Yeah, no, I think I, I've seen all that myself with scaling and having all your marketing costs and your overhead costs, like what that can truly look like and what numbers you need to hit in order for you to be living, living good. The whole reason why you started this whole business in the first place, you know? Um, Correct. So I think something that would be good to get into next here is talking about what some of the things that you had to do um, to hit some of those big numbers, how to have those breakthroughs. And I know one of the things you had talked about is setting big goals. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be good to talk about like, what's your process for setting goals? And then how do you actually reverse engineer it to what are the actions you need to take? Because I think if if the listeners to this can wrap their head around, like you talked about being in the mastermind, hearing people talking about doing millions of dollars, it doesn't sound real at first. Like only the people yeah. on TV playing professional sports or that are actors and stuff like that, only them can make millions of dollars. They might be mm-hmm. famous, but there is lots of people making millions of dollars. Um, oh, yeah. And once you're around those people, you're like, oh, I mean, that person could do it. I can too. So I think it'd be helpful to kind of go into your brain and think, uh, hear how you think about setting your goals and then how you work backwards to actually make that happen. Yeah, so Harper and in with Sharper was a big help with that. Before we would just kind of like anything, right? You start to have a little bit of momentum and we would be like, Oh, we're gonna do 150 grand this month. I was like, all right, cool. But we never think about like, well, how many deals is that? What's the average profit per deal on that one? Uh, how much marketing do we need to do for that? And do we even have enough marketing to support that kind of a goal? Right. So Reverse engineering, you took the words right out of my mouth. Nowadays, what I do, look, any business is just numbers, right? Especially our business. That's why people know your numbers, know your numbers. You really do have to know your numbers. And it is just a numbers game at the end of the day. So you just have to reverse engineer it. And how you do that? Keep it very simple. What's your average deal size? 20K. Let's just say it's 20 grand. All right. It's it's more realistic. So if it's 20 grand and you want to make 100K a month, that's five deals. Simple math. Okay. Now, What's your, then you have to figure out, okay, how much marketing is it going to take for me to have enough leads to have an average conversion rate to get to that? And then you work that backwards. And then that goes into, okay, what's my average cost per contract? And then what's my average cost per deal close? What's my attrition rate? Hey, if I get 10 contracts in in a month, I know more than likely six to seven will close because of title defects and this and that. So you just work it backwards and you say, okay, if I want to do 100K, that's five deals, right? If my average cost per deal is 5K, all right, then I have to do, you know, I have to market X amount of dollars in order to generate that revenue. Well, how much money is it going to cost to do that marketing? Cool. It's going to cost you 20 grand a month to generate a hundred. That's probably a fair assessment. If you're already rolling and you're converting and you got a good sales system and a good sales team. Now, if you're just starting off, you have to tier those goals. And, and for a lot of people that are paying attention right now, remember marketing is not something that you just turn on 
and next month it hits or next week it hits. You know that because you teach people. So marketing is something that you turn on and it's a lagging indicator. You might start marketing today, which is April 13th. You might not see the fruits of that marketing till June or July. That's more realistic. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. So that's how I work them. I just, I, I set the target, which is realistic. You have to know your bandwidth in order to do that. And then I just work it step-by-step step backwards. What is it actually going to take? Hey, that looks like 50 leads a week, new leads. Hey, your average cost per lead is a hundred bucks. Great. Well, that's five grand. Cool. That's five grand a week. It's 20 grand a month. That's going to generate, should generate a hundred K a month. And, and that's it. You just work it backwards. And then that's where you tweak. And if you know, like, okay, we're generating 50 leads, 50 leads per week, but something's off. We're not getting, you know, those two contracts a week or three contracts a week, whatever that, that metric is in order for you to get there. Then if you know your numbers and you know your KPIs, you can automatically pivot it week by week and you can see and you can say, all right, we didn't get enough leads. So we're low on leads. So next week we need to do better because if not, we're going to start to fall off from that goal. And, you know, one thing that, that, that Gary did as well was set up those, those, uh, what does he call them? The fearless goal, which is like a 10 year goal. Then you got a five year goal. Then you got a three year goal. Then you got a one year goal, but everything goes back to quarters. I think the best way, my favorite way to set goals is quarterly, 90 day intervals. There's been a lot of science and a lot of studies behind it where the average human being can focus on something without losing interest for about 90 days. After that, they fall off the wagon or they see the result. Now they have to retweak that goal and, and add a new metric. So 90 days is the perfect snapshot. It also works perfectly with marketing because marketing usually is a 60 to 90 day lagging indicator depending on the marketing type. So that's how I would do it. And, and I think people... I know I'm going off on the subject, but I think people no, look too look too long. And when you set that goal, it, it's scary and it's big and it's hairy. And you're like, oh my God, how the hell am I going to hit that? Well, that's why you set those micro goals within them and those metrics and those KPIs that if you do that daily activity and then weekly activity, monthly activity, quarterly activity, that leads to your yearly goal being accomplished. And that's all you have to do is just monitor it. What what process do you go to determine what goal you want to hit? For me, it's it, I've been in the business for six years now. So for me, I I just want to beat what my last goal was, and and I I know that I can tweak here, I can tweak there, and I can do better. So for me, it, you know, if I've already done five hundred k in a month, obviously I'm not running an operation of that size anymore. I'm running a much leaner operation, but now my goals are more net figures. I, I want to do a very lean operation. Pretty much how little can I spend to make the most out of it? And how can I best allocate my time? So for me, it might be a goal of, well, I want to do X, Y, Z with my time. Cool. So how do I reverse engineer that to fit my lifestyle and my time? Because I'm involved in, in a couple of different businesses now. Yeah. So what, uh, you got any big, crazy goals you want to, you want to share with people put out there in the, in the world? Yeah. Yeah. So I started an education company about 10, uh, 10 months ago, I was about to say 10 minutes ago. <laughs> it's like a lot of gurus. <laughs> yeah. So 10 months just started. ago, it's live. No, just started right now. So launching, but so 10 months ago and my goal 
by the end of this year is to to net a million dollars off of the uh, education space, and then to see at least twenty successful students that have earned six figures that, that were just starting out. Um, so far, I think I have four right now that I've already done it. Um, one wow. of them is on track to do seven figures, which he's really putting in that work. Um, he reminds me a lot of myself when I was when I was around his age, starting out. So I, I just enjoy helping it, and and it's it's pushing it forward on the Spanish side too. Yeah. So let's let's end with that. Talk about um, how you bring the Spanish speaking aspect into your business, um, and and what that's done for you. So I've operated, I'm in South Florida. It's no secret. Spanish is pretty much a necessity down here. I'm born and raised in Miami. I live in Fort Lauderdale now. So I've been operating my business, not really thinking much about it in English and Spanish for six years. To me, it's natural because that's my environment. It is what it is. If a seller calls in and it's all Spanish, it is what it is. You got to take the call. You got to work the call. Spanish is my first language. No problem. But as I started to do education, um, I really noticed I would speak at live events and this and that in, in South Florida. I noticed that there was a huge void for that. And a lot of it was a very underserved market. Um, and then as I started to travel, we have a mutual friend, Rafael Cortez, I started to travel to Phoenix. I also noticed, hey, this market is grossly underserved as well here. So I started to really think about it and talk to a lot of people like Matt Andrews and stuff like that. And what we started to really think was, wow, we need to create a platform and we need to create awareness, if you will, for the Spanish side and the English side, because a lot of people speak Spanish and they speak English. They're bilingual like myself, but maybe English isn't their first language. So they don't 100% understand the content, the delivery, the actual education, the courses and the, all that stuff. So the Spanish side of that will help drill that through and and it's a cultural thing as well so we just had an event last night in miami which was phenomenal and it's funny a bulk of the room was they speak english but there are a lot of spanish speakers that are not native spanish speakers they all gravitated towards us and then we all started speaking in spanish and they're like man like we think this is incredible that you guys are doing this and like man i can't wait till the next one and it, you know so the feedback is there and, and that's really what i'm working on now is i'm actively um you know, with a couple of strategic partners, I'm actively putting on the premiere and growing the premiere events and meetups and community in, in South Florida um, for English and Spanish speakers. Because South Florida is so, it's like the Wild West down here. It's so underserved, um, both on the Spanish side and the English side. And there's really no uniformity to what's going on down here. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking that. I like challenges. I'm taking that challenge on now. So it's, it's been a long ride so far. Thank you, man. That's super exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, dude, it's, it. it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on again for people. If they want to find you, you, you go to Willie numbers on, uh, on Instagram, uh, any other places you'd like people to, to search you out and find you? Yeah. So I'm on TikTok, Instagram. I put out a ton of content every single day. It's all free. So Willie is with a Y numbers and then also WillieNumbers.com. That's where you'll get all my stuff. That's my actual site. If you have a JV deal that you want to do, I do a ton of JV deals. Um, I also lend and I'm also a buyer. So if you have a deal, send it over. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thanks for being on so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, guys, make sure you reach out to Will, connect with him online. Um, and find a way to work together. That's what it's all about. So 
Till next time, we'll catch you guys later. Peace. Appreciate it, man. Thank you.